0: Today we are chatting with Kianga Daverton, managing partner at Acre of America Partners, a Hudson Valley, New York impact investment firm focused on the application of distributed ledger technologies to solve problems for rural communities. Acre Invest is a new blockchain venture by Acre of America focused on Creating compelling Web3 infrastructure, virtual network services, and social incentives for DAOs and other peer to peer permissionless stakeholders. They recently launched Acre DAOs, a Web3 portal for your decentralized impact investment club and its related community ERC20 token, Acre Impact. Kianga talks in depth about her experience and, and her journey into Web3 and crypto and impact investing and, and how they can all merge for this new brave world that we're, we're all entering into. Uh, it's a really, really amazing conversation. I'm so happy she took the time out of her busy schedule to to sit down and kind of talk about some of the foundational structures that are needed and what DAOs are, what Web3 sort of is, what it can be for impact investing, for new businesses and new infrastructures around you know food insecurity, education, agriculture, all these different aspects of our, our country and our world that, you know, centralized organizations have not figured out how to do a a really good job at scale, and perhaps Web three dials distri- distribution of peers and distribution of ownership and distribution of, of work and effort and value. How that can really go into solving some of those big issues that we face in the world. So, hope you enjoy the conversation and see you next.
1: Time. Thank you, Grant, for having me on. Really excited to to talk with you and be among your illustrious guests that you've had on this podcast. Where 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 to begin? I started my career as an attorney, as a lawyer in New York, working in the derivatives area. And this is interestingly, really super relevant right now, it's funny how things come full circle, that my dominant practice area at a law school was in derivatives. And this hmm. was like the late 90s, when lots of sort of a heyday of, of derivatives are you know fantastic, they're growing, they're great risk management tools. And regulation at that time was extremely limited. I mean, for in fact, most of what I worked on was exempt or excluded from mm-hmm. regulation and Uh, in law school, even I worked on the emerging credit derivatives market. Uh, And so it's interesting to see at one point in my career, something that seemed, you know, really positive uh, as an innovation turned out to cause so many problems in 2008, which is also relevant to my journey. But Mm -hmm. I I reflect really fondly on those early days as a lawyer. And it was extremely international. Uh, I got to travel, and present at conferences about you know pretty nerdy topics, but things I found really interesting. I've always loved markets. I've, I've been intrigued by uh derivatives, particularly because it was the most creative area of finance without having the strict regulations of like the securities markets. And so I was able to. You know, really, I think expressed the frustrated artist within me, and eventually moved over to Goldman Sachs, where I worked and got more involved in the commodities business. Notwithstanding my interest in law and markets, I, I definitely also had other passions, particularly around the arts and philanthropy. And so, over the course of you know my early career, I, I kind of had parallel dueling trajectories. Uh, one very much steeped in Wall Street sort of, you know, trading sell side. And the other was a kind of curiosity about philanthropy and the arts, particularly communicating with young professionals and audiences around patronage and support for the arts. That Led me after 2008. I was at Lehman Brothers at the time, and uh, sort of saw that implode in slow motion from the inside. Still, still have some PTSD around that. Sure, Um, sure. But uh, took a break, a break from Wall Street, and really immersed myself around 2008 and nine, and onward into the emerging Web two space, social media, Twitter, Mm -hmm. uh, blogging using every new app that came out from voice, video, and using them, experimenting with them as tools of connecting and communicating, primarily through the arts. So artists were picking up these tools, doing performances, and I was really engaged with presenting their work, uh, as well as working with some galleries, art fairs, museums, around like the next generation of, of arts audiences and how to capture them. So I guess fast forward after several years of doing that, uh, working in the arts and, and internet communications, social media, I decided to retire from the art world and kind of pick up my legal career. And this was you know just as Ethereum was coming on the scene, I was like kind of casually aware of Bitcoin. Uh, but didn't start paying attention until around 2016 when I launched my own law practice. And that opportunity to kind of strike out on my own inspired me to look for the, like kind of the most niche, obscure yep. <laughs> corner of markets that I could find. So <laughs> the ultimate came.
0: derivative, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, oh, exactly. Exactly. And it's 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 ironic how I think in many ways my work. In the arts, which was super focused on like performance, a lot of conceptual work interest me. It gave me a kind of um, I think mental model to be able to grasp a lot of what's right. you know even happening now with NFTs and you know what is an NFT, what is Bitcoin. So you know I think that that time I spent kind of studying contemporary art you know gave me an advantage uh, among maybe what would otherwise be the case as a sort of Gen X like lawyer. Right. to be, be comfortable teaching myself uh, how how to navigate like the, the internet communities the tools that were starting to become available to interact with the space and so just sort of to fast forward again from that initial sort of inquiry thinking about you know another niche area, that since you know, my work in derivatives had really been interesting and 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 a positive in terms of career opportunities, having that special focus, I took the same approach with crypto, uh, and pretty soon fell down the rabbit hole and decided <laughs> that everything needed to be about yeah. cryptocurrency, and I needed to like mine it, I needed to stake it, I needed to like have it for. Breakfast over my coffee, <laughs> um, and so yes, that led me to found Acre of America and sort of an impact, which is now an impact investment firm. You know, initially it was um, a, a vehicle for me to give advice and education to friends and family in crypto.
0: Before I think we get into to Acre Dials and, and sort of what it is and, and its mission and maybe what everything the firm does. The last thing you said there struck me a little bit, because when you talk to, you know, family and friends, how do you go about that conversation when people, you know, maybe ask you things because they hear it in the media or all over the internet, right? Crypto, Web3, NFTs, all those different things. Like what's your first like starting point?
1: one of the first things I often say is that the price action and the spectacular returns is the least interesting thing right about yeah. cryptocurrency and I mm-hmm. emphasize I, I really discourage people. I kind of try to discourage people, I sort of say. Um, you you really want to do a lot of learning and you want to approach the space initially as maybe an opportunity to save some assets outside of the dollar. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You know, that I discourage sort of short-term thinking and speculation and that it's pretty difficult to do that well unless it's your full-time uh, professional role i don't i I don't want to be uh responsible for you know that someone buying because usually people start asking like at the top when people are really coming yeah it's like okay it's probably things are going to turn around and i don't want to be the one who uh you know kind of caused them to enter at the wrong time (laughs) or uh so i'm very careful You know, this is a space that really requires a lot of personal agency and personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. The technical uh, security issues, it's totally still a wild west in terms of potential to get scammed. So I I really try to be careful about, you know, striking that balance between the enthusiasm and excitement, but also caution and education. So I've, I've started in the past maybe two years, an Instagram that was, you know, kind of focused on uh, running commentary about the space. I started blogging two or three years ago and sharing my thoughts about the market. And that was my way of, of you know, trying to consolidate some feedback and some guidance for, for friends and family who wanted to know more, wanted to know what I was looking at.
0: It's, I think that's a, it's a perfect way to look at it and not lead with sort of the the currency side and and sort of the 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 volatile nature of of maybe what like it as an asset is, but what you can build I think is yes. the most interesting part of of all of this. The ability to build things in a brand new way is uh, is the most exciting part to me. So let's talk about what you're building, yeah, <laughs> what <sure>. Acre, <laughs> Acre Dows is, and, and maybe the origin stories of of how it came about.
1: Absolutely. And um, actually, Builder is my middle name in Swahili. Come
0: on.
1: <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's uh, too good. That's <laughs> too much, right? I was sort of reflecting on that recently, like, wow, what's happened here? Funny how that naming thing works. Yes, you know, my, my the origin story for what I'm doing now and how Acre Dows came to be is very much connected with coming to the Hudson Valley and meeting my business partner, Chris Lindstrom, in the middle of the pandemic, and both of us having shared interests in Hudson's sort of super local impact, Opportunity Zone funds. So I had been thinking about Opportunity Zone legislation and tax rules, and I don't know how familiar you or your audience are with this in the U.S. It was just briefly, you know, a, a, an ability, a structure that allows investors to use capital gains and invest them in a local community and receive certain tax advantages for doing so. and yeah. what interests me about that program is it kind of coming from a just strictly crypto world where there are values around you know staying out of the dollar hedging and then also what can we do in real space and being in a rural area, And after the pandemic in particular, seeing all of these things breaking down and feeling like, wow, if, but also seeing that crypto and crypto solutions were not being adopted or were not, you know, on anyone's radar screen whatsoever and Mm -hmm. the urgency that I felt for my work to really matter. And that it was time for us as an industry to prove and demonstrate, well, is it all just talk? Is it all like, you know, hype? all utopic garbage? Or can this really matter at a time that it needs to matter? And uh, Chris had been has been for years focused on regenerative economies and comes from a family, the Rockefeller family that has, you know, quite a storied history when it comes to issues of fossil fuels, and even our current federal reserve system. So he's He's for years been extremely mindful of that legacy and wanting to address some of the dysfunction is in the world that you know very much traces to some of his family's work over the years. And there, in, in that, you know, he's been very involved in investing in circular economy, biofuels, regenerative agriculture. So we came together both around this interest in opportunity zones, and and really, it's through him that I even became aware of. Quote impact investing and kind of this whole space of regeneration and yeah. thought to myself, you know, crypto is like actually the ultimate, I think, regenerative investment potentially. And so I found myself as I as I really leaned in locally and wanted to better understand, you know, what's not working in terms of local food supply chains, what's not working in terms of um, financial literacy, economic participation, small business success. I found myself always saying. Well, have you heard of blockchain? I think there's some there there, you know, as as that system of decentralized governance of coordination and consensus mechanism just felt like, There's an answer here to so many of the problems, of so many of the incentive problems, the coordination and the ability for capital to flow well in these real-life, real-world systems that are so crucial to our health and prosperity as a planet and as society. And meanwhile, in the crypto economy, it's like going gangbusters, right? So Chris and I thought about, well, we want to see the levers of power transition from Wall Street to Main Street? And, you know, how can this happen? And We hear, you know, we're hearing a lot about DAOs, you know, we have different levels of familiarity with how they function, you know, the concept of web three earlier this year. I mean, it's all it's been around, but I feel like this year, web three being active is is fairly new. And um, we, Chris hosted a retreat over the summer where he invited a group lots of different people who were working in in regenerative practices. I'd say about half or seventy half to seventy percent of the group had some familiarity with the concept of a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. And we had a lot of iterative discussions and, and conversations about well, does the DAO structure? How does it work? Is it useful? Can it be used? Mm-hmm. And Eco DAOs. As a venture, kind of came out of that came out of that group, that decentralized group of of change agents, people really, you know, working on impact in various ways around the world, needing the tools or wanting to figure out how the tools can be engaged for funneling capital to projects and ventures.
0: The one thing that with Web three and and crypto and this whole new generation of company structures and the way to get people from all over the world involved in a DAO, which I look at as most like a, a, co- a internet company structure. <laughs> it's how I, 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 try to, I try to phrase it in my mind as that to get me past like the first <laughs> hurdle of, of understanding all of it. With NFTs and, you know, we see these different meme coins and all the stuff like that. I think, you know, everybody gets kind of confused or they're just, Scratching the head, and it's and it's also for me personally. It's like, okay, but what is this doing for society? What can it actually do to better food insecurity, education, all these different things that we still have problems with, right? And like, is this an opportunity for Web three and the leaders in it, the communities in it, to solve problems that cannot be solved by centralized institutions, right? This is to me the opportunity that really says, hey, we're not just you know animal. NFTs, right? <laughs> if you look deeper into what's possible, like this is, this is a real, real change agent of sorts. And I always point to maybe possibilities and and maybe examples of what's possible. Do you want to maybe share, like, it can be like a, an example that's happened now, or or maybe a utopian example of what's made a combo, like, What is possible with DAOs, right? Maybe you can, again, real world example, or, or sort of a, an example that's not yet been realized, but I always like to look in parallels and examples to, to how to reach people and, and help everybody understand what, what's possible here.
1: Yeah. So, well, I, I a hundred percent cosign everything that you said. And w- what I think is important to appreciate about the speculation and the, um, the frothiness perhaps some of which might seem, you know, kind of frivolous or ridiculous, is that the excitement and bringing in new people to use the tools and even the liquidity, the speculation is right. um, maturing the potential that, you know, we're, we're alluding to. And in terms of real world, you know, how can it all matter? I would invite people to think about, you know, again, sort of Web 2 and what happened with YouTube is a good example uh, and, and something called, I would say, social scalability. Part of what's what I'm really excited about in terms of the Web3 approach, which includes kind of uh, navigating the world with like an, like an Ethereum wallet address. There's a level of transparency and provenance yeah. to all of your activities that provides a new trust mechanism for the Web that we haven't quite had, you know, we're having an opportunity to fulfill, you know, some of the early ideas of what the internet could do in terms of connecting people and communicating. And also now with this sort of monetary layer, this value transfer layer, we're going to take this, you know, to places it's hard to even imagine. But going back to YouTube, for example, and, you know, imagining the years like 2002, there was this idea that You, as somebody interested in walnuts, (laughs) you know, the long tail was spoken about at the time of niche interests, being able to overcome economies of scale or being able to sustain a business or interest because the technology allowed you to reach what maybe was a smaller market, but you could go deeper into that market and have a viable enterprise because the internet allowed you to connect with and reach and communicate. And so I I kind of see Web3 in a similar vein is that it scales it scales the trust model that we need to coordinate at at a larger scale uh, for deploying resources where they're needed. So like right now all around the world and in the you know people also often in, in the US Some some demographics within the U.S. can get very excited about uh, innovations that are happening in underdeveloped countries around payments or banking the unbanked. And being in upstate New York, I'm here to tell you, like, we need the same here. Like, in this country, we have um, severe, severe disparities and disinvestment and infrastructure that's crumbling, social systems that are crumbling, opportunities that are disappearing. You know, as for a small segment of society, the the gains and the benefits of everything that's happened in the last 10 years and, and longer just keep keep multiplying. And so I see web three or or DAOs, broadly speaking, and the work that we're trying to do as like stitching together the vine, right? Like plugging back into a source that can sustain life that can sustain growth that can flourish. And if the source or the vine, you know, has all the nutrients, it feels like so many of us. Are like way out on extremities, and like those branches that connect to that source have just withered. So, regeneration, regenerative economies. Um, some are kind of wondering, like, how can a why, why are we saying DAOs are regenerative, or why do you think you know, the crypto is an impact investment? That's crazy. Crypto is like destroying the planet, which is not true. But I see it in this way I see that this technology that allows us in a decentralized way, again, not not, not speaking about the, the vine core being in terms of like there being a centralized model um, that we aspire to, but recognizing that that's kind of where we are right now with like resources, capital flows, knowledge, power, like centralized in the trunk of this vine. And that DAOs and DAO infrastructure is about building out a network that allows that knowledge, that allows that you know resources to circulate and flow and be managed in a much more efficient and effective way so that we see this regeneration distributed in a more equitable way.
0: Let's say like in, in the world of impact investing, right? And sort of using capital or assets to create allocators of not just like capital, but even like ideas. And again, now with crypto, not really capital it just could be assets there's there's all kind of different ways to look at it is the idea for for acres dows to be like okay we can build out this distributed investor network across the world which is possible with web3 and dows it's it can be as localized as you want it to be but then also as as globalized as you want it to be as well which i think is an amazing thing but to take like-minded individuals and sort of move quickly is also, I think, a big as- aspect of this is that decisions can be made pretty f- pretty fast if you want it to be right. If you if you if you build your dial that 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 way, you can make decisions on hey, let's buy, let's go get this piece of land and do this to it. Um, let's do you know go invest in this company because it's doing this and that. Is the idea of it is it like a moving, living like venture fund like is that what You want to build for people is that idea that you can use investments and have people globally be a part of it, be a part of that movement into allocating capital to your morals and what your values are, right? Rather than you can just only invest in the S and P five hundred, (laughs) right? For most like retail people,
1: that's absolutely right, Grant. And and it's a peer to peer model. This is what I'm most excited about innovating is getting rid of the friction, getting rid of the rent seekers, getting rid of the intermediaries that sort of take fees and slow down the process of getting kind of the capital to where it's needed. And being able to use the fractional nature of digital assets means that more people can participate. So you can have more people at smaller sort of dollar amounts or value amounts organizing and coming together You know, like kind of swarm. I often think of a swarm, you know, I'm getting really interested in bees this year and this sort of hive and hive dynamics where, you know, groups can just form and attend to a particular task and then, you know, maybe reform and attack another task. And the digital assets allow us and particularly the area that we're in, which is sort of social tokens, community tokens to create value out of values and not just virtue signaling um, and, and doing things that, you know, maybe sit at a certain layer that's detached from the real impact, but we can actually monetize the values that we want to see in the world, sort of like reward the positive externalities oh, or, yeah. you know, I don't want to say punish the negative externalities, but we can materialize, make more visible uh, more of the inputs and the outputs that go into certain enterprises or businesses, and address what you know. I think lots of folks I've been learning from are concerned about issues of rights of nature or. Um, you know, how does the current gap standard really measure profit versus cost? And it's not measuring the real cost or the externalized costs. And particularly in the in this area of impact, or regenerative agriculture, and you know, lots of sectors, the results that we want to see are not well incentivized in our current sort of capital. Model. So I see an opportunity for Web3 and social tokens and communities to add a new sort of channel to the capital stack, right? We can create Hmm. value out of social assets, we can almost monetize the activity. The contributions that otherwise, you know, prior to having these kinds of forms of digital assets were not able to be made tangible. And now we can make these intangibles tangible. We can make them tradable. And so my wheel starts spinning as someone who loved inventing conceptual financial products. I mean, derivative markets invent entirely value, value structures that are Mm -hmm. not connected to the, that don't have materiality. And so the idea that we can do that with crypto, that we have done that with crypto assets to me is like the most natural thing in the world. And my hope with Acredows is that we're creating the right we're understanding, we're trying, we're at the forefront. Like everyone, all of us is like, what's the DAO? What's Web3? How do you engage in community? How do you run an organization? Or, you know, what, there's so many uncertainties with this new frontier. But um, our purpose in this is to vitalize, revitalize how capital markets work, how investing can work, how individuals can coordinate and come together. And that this could also really, we could resurface some of the, solutions that I think a centralized model, or if you have like the large capital holders that want to move their assets, you know, it's like, well, maybe those people don't have all of the answers. And how do we surface more information, more knowledge, have more bandwidth, have more wisdom? And I believe that the Dow approach is has has enormous potential in moving the ball forward.
0: And I want to talk a little bit about access because yeah. I think it. That's really one of the most important layers of all of this. Is that you know the one thing with sort of traditional markets is sort of the accredited investor, mm-hmm. this sort of hurdle that is it just kind of haunts the industry. I think in a, in a way that is like so it's just outdated way of thinking, and that's why I think crypto. That's why I think Web three is exploding because you don't you don't need a permission slip to participate, and I think access is such. A key element to all of this. How do you look at access and how do you make sure that we don't form these similar hurdles in the traditional market in Web3? How do we how do we not eliminate access?
1: Yeah, this is this is such an important topic. And investor protection is a is a big theme. I think I saw our SEC chairman really leaning in on that theme. And we have this uh, sort of stack of regulatory uh, constraints that have evolved in this country, United States over a century, You know, due to people losing money at different times and feeling like we need more regulation for bad actors to protect people who can't maybe bear the loss or who presumed not to have the sophistication or education to um, know <laughs> what to stay away from so i mean i i do have really strong reservations about that sort of very paternalistic approach to someone that just because they don't have a million dollars they're not smart enough to make their own decisions and they need to be protected away from some of the best wealth generating opportunities right. which have been you know limited to uh accredited investors and similarly to what you said on this this the explosion, particularly like in 2017, when I really started paying attention to the market and the ICO, what I saw were was the little guy uh, from all over the world, hungry, leaning in, getting a new purpose in life, learning, studying, contributing, and um, you know, their ventures being also funded that many turned out to be not compliant or you know, some were uh, fraudulent. But sure. more than not, what was more often the case. In my mind, was a, a huge benefit to society, and so I would say we we have a lot of work to do at the policy level. What I what I encourage folks in crypto is to do is it's not you know not everyone needs to be involved in every area, but compliance is crucial, and I I believe a segment of us in the industry should be engaged with reforming the laws and not concede. That we're not subject to them, or not believe we're not subject to them, or or not necessarily say, oh, we're just gonna operate outside, or, you know, certainly for those in the US say, oh, well, we're just gonna leave the United States, or you know, I I think we've got to form a really coherent argument and that's gonna take some political pressure, that people need access to these opportunities to participate in this new economy, to participate in making decisions for their family and their future. And we, we, we've we just got to take a different approach to investor protection. And I would say further, just another comment on this, uh, because I'm a recognized, working with Acre Invest as a recognized delegate for the MakerDAO ecosystem. And that's a, a really large in one of the mm-hmm. older DAO structures, yeah. and so issues of liability and legal structures, or the lack of a legal structure for a DAO, raises some you know unprecedented questions. Sure. And So in the same yeah. way that like the internet, you know, there were certain rule- laws that were passed that allowed the internet to flourish. Like, okay, we're not going to tax commerce on the internet, allowed it to flourish. Or even I would say with the the COVID vaccines, it's like we're giving the pharmaceutical companies' immunity mm-hmm. from lawsuits, right? Because we want to incentivize, I don't know what exactly, but in the same way, laws can be made to solve some of the liability issues that prevent people from, you know, maybe diving in and contributing or, you know, the laws can be changed to make it more open. You know, the crowdfunding laws in the US, yeah. they're even still super difficult or costly and limited in terms of their ability to let everyday people really participate. So I'm passionate about that. But I I would say we've got to kind of form coherent policy as an industry and really communicate well why this is important and why we should go in this direction of of opening up access to to these kinds of assets.
0: I am a proponent of (laughs) regulation and compliance. I, I think most people want that. I think most people just don't want bad policies right Right. and what i certainly don't want is is making is regulation leads to exclusion i i mean of course like people need to be educated and there needs to be learning tools out there right but you know that's done that's not a reason to exclude them which is what you know the incredible investor laws have done for you know multiple decades almost a half a century is elimin- is literally excluding people from the wealth generation that you know private companies have when they go public. A lot of that company's value is diluted at that point. I'm I mean, sure it'll still true. I mean it'll still go up for like I mean it still <laughs> yeah. has value obviously.
1: Yeah.
0: But the wealth creation is created before it hits the public market when most people have access to it, and so that's what I don't. And I think that's why Web three is exploding and all these different things are people are building and creating amazing things because it is it's welcoming and it's open and it's not exclusionary and to me i i wanted to keep i want to keep it that way but i also have my cake and eat it too where there are some you know there are regulations there is compliance areas that you know, whether it's users need to go through um, whether investors need to go through whatever you want investor and user is probably the same thing at this point now in web three right it, it's kind of melt, yeah, molded it, both 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 terms
1: it, it really it allows and i think also our idea of an investment club lovely love the possibility that you know really anyone can consider and everyone should consider themselves an investor right so so opening up that idea of, you know, in terms of power dynamics, who's an investor, like we're all in this, we all need to, I think, adopt a mindset of like, uh, what I have to give and everyone, regardless of economic status, has something to give, has an experience, has their time, has, you know, a, a lot to give and one thing about web3 is it feels like it can really reward it can give people many many more people an outlet to contribute and actually uh sustain themselves through what it is that they have to give so with like non fungible tokens to be able to prove again the provenance of your own creation and build an economics into an asset that will continue to reward you know the original creator w- what and, and unfortunately, from a regulatory perspective, these are commodities. And so what's exciting is that in the United States, you know, we have a very heavy regulatory burden around securities, but we have this space in terms of non-fungible tokens that are not securities that are, that are giving some breathing room for communities and creators and individuals to design products that uh, have their own economy. And so I I think that this is incredibly important balance to strike in terms of compliance is that we're allowing innovation, we're allowing companies to start up, we're allowing entrepreneurs the ability to flourish because, you know, I do see a risk of the the gates kind of closing in and only the incumbents in terms of the crypto, you know, really having the resources to to comply to to hire the lawyers to hire the to build the technology that can so we've we've got to as a country and i think you know the the world is struggling with this strike the balance that lets people participate lets people build businesses that there's a business model that they can follow that's compliant but that doesn't like strangle their efforts before they can even get off the ground
0: i want to end on the last question around regenerative and you know, acre itself stands for autonomous communities for regenerative economies. there's there's so many fun words there. <laughs> but uh, I
1: love words.
0: I know. I, I want to focus on the word regenerative and and perhaps like what what does it mean to you as as we move forward with I, I've spoken to a ton of people around regenerative agriculture mm-hmm. and looking at regenerative land, looking at how you know our food system can, be much more healthy through regenerative practices and, and our land and our soil can become such an asset. How do you look at regenerative just in, in an overall general state? Doesn't, doesn't have to be in any sector, sure. but what does it sort of mean, mean to you right now? And and it's so promising to me because there's so many different aspects of it, but how do you look at regenerative?
1: I think about the word regenerative and regenerate as a way to begin again, to acknowledge that our system of money, really, this is my core obsession is, you know, how the money works or isn't working. And therefore that extends to incentives and financial products or markets. So I think the answer or, you know, kind of the source for Any particular segment of impact, regenerative agriculture, education, health, for me, it all has a common denominator, which is something is really wrong with the money. (laughs) Something is really severely broken with our monetary order and our fiat currency and debt-based society. And it's completely needs regeneration. It needs sort yeah, of like yeah. <laughs> completely in a, a total overhaul. And that when we address the toxicity of our money and the way the money supply is managed and the incentives, the perverse incentives that are created by that system, I really believe that is the source of our healing across all of these domains. So I I'm really super focused on on that and, and and sort of thinking how to, how to think through. And now we have so many tools thanks to Bitcoin and what's, a, what's happened in the last 11 years. And now how do we deploy them? And folks who are working in regenerative agriculture or working um, around climate issues want to see a different kind of, opportunity for financial inclusion, have a blueprint or have a map or have, you know, a template to then carry forward in their particular domain of work.
0: So I promise this is the last question. Okay. <laughs> when, we, when we talk about the future and success, success can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But when you look three to five years and maybe in a decade down the line, what does success look like for you within Acre Dows and, and would it sort of you know, creates and not just for itself, but also for others?
1: Uh, well, we we actually have put some metrics around it uh, to help guide us in our work. Nice. Our call to adventure is 1,000 acre DAOs in 1,000 days. So that's a two and three quarters of a year from now, we'd like to see that 1,000 communities maybe got their start through uh, their relationship within the context of acre and have deployed the tools effectively in in terms of seeing capital in digital assets actually flow through to an impact in the real world. And I would say, I was like, I actually just posted something on my Insta today uh, from the year 2000 and the Daily Mail said, the internet may be just a passing fad as millions give up on it. (laughs) You know, which sounds like what a lot of criticisms about the DAO. And about Web3 right now is like, it can't work. And like, it's a passing fad. And so I think success, I don't believe that, but we have to really prove it as having kind of value for all people. And, And that to me would be success in say five years, we could look around and say, Hey, here's a group of people, various communities all over the world that use that grabbed hold of this open source technology this openness and applied it in their lives and in their communities and they have more agency they have more prosperity they're thriving and they have self-determination because we were we were part of advancing the use and adoption um of of these tools and of this potential and and making a difference in the real world
0: well thank you so much kyanga this was Amazing. I, I, I would love to have you on again to talk about all kind of different ways that communities can use these tools and use DAOs to regenerate their own communities in ways, right? And love make to. it to. a long, a sort of long lasting asset for themselves and them communities. So maybe we'll put that together, but this has been a uh, a great conversation and best of luck for you and the team in Thank the you. future and, and laying the groundwork for, for hopefully a, a lot more people, right. To, to get involved in.
1: That was
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>